On the road trip through Romans continues. Last week, Pastor Luke got us through last half of Romans 8, first half of Romans 9. Talked about living in the Spirit, just to jog your memory if you were here, which means we're children of God. We belong in God's family. Uh, we groan in intercession. God's Spirit helps us as we pray. We, we have sorrow in our hearts for people who don't know Jesus yet. And we're confident that no one and no thing can separate us from God's love in Jesus Christ. That was last week. Today, we're going to drive through the last half of Romans 9, a little bit of Romans 10. And the main idea is simply this. God's in charge. God is God. And we are not. Uh, take advantage of those daily devotionals. Uh, if you're getting the text link that comes out, or just go on our website, or text the word Romans in, and we'll get you hooked up with that. It's a great way. If you haven't used the devotionals at all this summer so far, that's fine. You can start now and, and catch up the last half of the book and enjoy that. So take advantage of that. Our first stopping point today is simply God is God, Romans 9, 16 through 29. Repeat after me. God is God. Now, this seems rather obvious, uh, and I don't think anybody here is going to stand up and start shouting, no, I am God. However, we have some questions. And so did the believers that the Apostle Paul was writing to in the New Testament church in Rome, questions about why did God do what he did? Old Testament story, Rebecca has twins. God chose the older son to come underneath and serve the younger son. Why? And why did the prophet Malachi, speaking for God, say, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau? And that just doesn't sound fair. I mean, why couldn't God just choose both of them and have them work together and be a happy family? Well, since we are created in the image of God, we think we can do the job better than God. We've all felt this at certain points in our lives. This is also the working definition of sin, big S. We're created in the image of God. We have capabilities, and sometimes we think, we believe, sometimes we're actually certain that we can do a better job than God, at least of managing our own life. So instead of worshiping God and learning his design, we go, no, I'm just going to figure life out on my own. After all, we know it's best for ourselves, don't we? What will make us content and bring peace and bring joy and bring happiness? We know, don't we? Things happen in life that don't match up with what we want. And we start asking what I call why questions. God, why did you let that happen? God, why didn't you step in and change things? God, why did you allow that person to suffer? God, why won't you give me what I want? God, why do some people have it, seem to have it so easy and some people seem to have it so hard? And underneath all these why questions, aside from our confusion and anguish about life, is a belief that we have the right to critique God. God shouldn't do that. God should know better. I could manage things better. Now, just a side note, we all ask why questions. I do too, right? When life just spins out of control, our minds spin out of control, we start wondering, does God know what he's doing? And it's that confusion that the Apostle Paul, guided by the Spirit, wrote these words. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can either choose it or work for it. For instance, did we choose to have God send his son Jesus Christ to this earth so to make a way for us to be welcomed into God's family? Did we choose that? No. Have we worked hard enough? Have we been kind enough? Have we done everything perfectly so that we deserve that God would send his son Jesus into this world to save us? No. Well then, 
If we didn't ask God to send Jesus, if we didn't work hard enough to deserve Jesus, why did Jesus come? Why did he come to teach us the truth about the true God? Why did he suffer this sacrificial death on the cross to pay our sin price? Why did God the Father raise Jesus up from the dead to a new resurrection body, defeating the power of sin and death? Why does Jesus give the gift of the Holy Spirit when we surrender our lives to him? Why is the ascended risen Christ now praying for us? Why is Jesus returning at the end to create a new heaven and new earth that is perfect? Why? Because God chose to show us mercy. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God is free to care or not to care about us. And God chose to care about us and show us his mercy through Jesus Christ. This is incredibly good news. God is God, and he has chosen to give you his mercy through Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? God, why didn't you make me a little bit taller? God, why didn't you... Give me better health. God, why didn't you give me a higher metabolism rate? Or why didn't you give me the ability to make a lot of money? God, why did you make me the way that you did? If you've ever watched a potter working on a potter's wheel throw a pot, it's amazing. They, put this, they know the, the right size lump of clay to put on the center of the wheel. They start spinning it, and they get water in their hands, and they apply this pressure. And before you know it, uh, they shape this clay into what they want, a jar or of whatever size. And during the whole process, the, the clay does not say anything. The clay does not say, I want to be this. You're not doing it right. No, the clay is just worked by the potter's hands. That's how Paul talks about God working with us. You see, we have a choice about what question guides our life. It's kind of one or the other here. You, we can live in frustration and keep asking God, God, why did you make me like this? Why did you make me like this? Or we can live by faith and say, God, since you made me like I am, will you show me how I can bring honor to you with my life? Just show me. God is God. God is good. And so Paul also writes, earlier in the book we went through this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And only God can do this. Because there's lots of stuff that's happened in your life and my life that has not been good. But only God can work with us not good and make it work together for our good. So instead of telling God, you should have made me different. You should have prevented those hard things from happening. We say, God, you are God. And through Jesus Christ, I trust you to work in all the stuff of my life to bring something good. Good for me and good to bring you honor and glory little food for thought from the author of our daily devotionals. So many of us are waiting to trust God until we understand God, when all the while the truth is we will not understand God until we trust him. This is true for Paul personally. He was traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus as a Jewish religious leader. He had authority in Damascus to arrest and put in chains all the followers of Jesus and bring them back to Jerusalem for questioning or imprisonment or perhaps death. That's what Paul's doing. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He's on this trip when he has a vision of the risen Christ and he hears Jesus say these words, 
I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Paul did not say, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought you and your followers were the enemy. You need to fully explain everything to me before I'm going to make any changes in my life. Paul just obeyed. He went into town. He got baptized. And shortly thereafter, he's actually convincing other people to follow Jesus. And God's Spirit used Paul to write much of the New Testament. We trust and obey first. Understanding God and his ways comes later. Stop one. God is God. Stop two. It's not about what we have done. It's about what Jesus has done. And this, Paul talks about this over and over and over again in Romans. Constant theme. And these particular verses in Romans 9.30 through 10.4, Paul's explaining how it is that non-Jews, Gentiles, were made right with God even though they weren't trying to follow God's standards and the people of Israel who were trying to get right with God by keeping the law didn't succeed. And Paul just gets right to the point. He says they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting him. And Paul's writing about his fellow Jews whom he loves but he says they're misguided. They're thinking, if, if I just keep the law, I'll be made right with God. Paul says, no. No one, Jew or Gentile, can be kept made right with God by just keeping the law. You're made right with God by trusting what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. You don't earn your way into friendship with God. You receive it by faith as a gift from Jesus. It's not about works. It's about trusting in faith. I was visiting with a good friend from a previous church I've served. We were talking about you know, life and work and kids and catching up and all that stuff. And they began to talk about a friend they made uh, at a degree program they'd recently been through. And, and this friendship eventually, you know, we have conversations. And eventually the conversations started talking about spiritual things. And their friend, I'll just call him John, since I did ask permission for the story from him. Call him John. He had no experience with church. None. No experience with the Bible. None. But he's interested. So my friend said, well, hey, John, you want to, we could just do a, a basic Bible study. You can find out the basic message of the Bible and find out the basics about Jesus. If you want to, John said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So they started meeting for a while and kind of going through the basics. And after a while, John got the basic idea of what the Bible's all about, who Jesus is, what he's done, his death, his resurrection. And uh, my friend talked about you know, when you decide to believe and follow Jesus, it's like you get into the boat. You, know, you make a decision. You get into the boat say, this is where I'm going to be now. And John said, well, I'm not in the boat yet. But I think I will. I think I will get into the boat. But I'm just not there yet. My friend thought, oh, that's great. He's on his way. He's learning. Well, my friend had some question, a question for me. My friend said, listen, John has some behaviors in his life that were way out of line with following Jesus. Way out of line. And so my friend said, should I talk with him about that stuff now? Or should I wait? I said, oh, wait. Wait until he's decided to get into the boat. Then Jesus will give him the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will help John figure out what it looks like to live a life that honors Jesus. I mean, John's not going to be made right with God just because he get rid, gets rid of sinful behavior. You can't earn forgiveness. When John decides to trust Jesus Christ, he will receive forgiveness. He'll be made right with God. 
And John will be given the gift of God's Spirit who will empower him to live a life that honors Jesus. And John will stop sinful behavior not because he has to. He will stop sinful behavior because God's Spirit's giving him a desire to live in a way that honors Jesus. Because we can't get right with God by trying to be good. We just can't. We get right with God by trusting what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. I need to talk about church for a moment because it's really easy to get the church thing backwards. Let's say I'm talking with somebody and I say, hey, tell me about your spiritual journey. They say, well, I was raised, I went to church most Sundays with my parents or sometimes my grandma brought me. I kind of liked it. My friends were there. I liked most of the pastors. Not all of them, but most of them, they were okay. And I, I kind of wandered away during high school years. And, but, you know, I'm starting to build my life as an adult now. And I realized I want to get back to church. I think it'll be good for me. And I've got kids now. And I, I think it'd be good for them. In other words, they're telling me, well, I kind of felt like I made myself right with God by going to church. I got away from it. Now I want to get it back and be right with God again. Now, don't get me wrong. Worshiping on Sundays at Cornerstone and then finding a, a ministry place or group to plug into will be a great encouragement to your spiritual life, but it doesn't make you right with God. Faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us does that. Now, worship together and finding a place to plug in and be involved, that will encourage your faith and help you grow, but it starts with placing your full faith in Jesus, his death for your sin, his resurrection to give you a new start in life in the life to come. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. And that gets Paul to stop number three in Romans 10. Salvation is for everyone. Now, Paul did not grow up this way. God had to reveal this to him. Because when Paul was growing up as a Jew in New Testament times, he was taught salvation is for Jews only. End of sentence. So, Paul was taught non-Jews were excluded he was taught, do not ever, or excuse me, he was taught, look down on Gentiles and judge them because they are beneath you. He was taught never to enter the home of a Gentile. He was taught never to eat a meal with a, a Gentile, a non-Jew. And he was taught never to befriend a Gentile because Gentiles, non-Jews, were shut out of hope of ever being made right with God. They were hopelessly doomed. That's how Paul grew up. Then he met Jesus Christ and got straightened out and God's Spirit revealed to Paul the truth about salvation. It's for everyone. Ethnic background doesn't matter. Your skin color doesn't matter. What language you speak doesn't matter. In Galatians 3.28, Paul wrote, it doesn't matter if a person is a Jew or Gentile, a slave or a free person, a male or a female. All that matters is that a person has faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so Paul puts it down very simply. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're just going to walk through this important sentence. If you openly declare, faith in Jesus Christ is not a secret you keep to yourself. Faith in Jesus Christ gives you hope and purpose and meaning and affects every part of your life. So it's something we openly declare with both our words and our actions. It's who we are. That's why baptism and confirmation are not private events just for family and friends. Because in the baptism of a baby, one or both parents are publicly declaring that Jesus is Lord and that they will raise their child to know 
Jesus as Lord. And they want the whole church to know. This is public. In the baptism of an adult believer, an adult comes to the church and says, I am declaring now that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to take a series of vows so it's very plain. It's not private. I want to let everybody know. This is who I am now. Jesus is Lord. In confirmation, a youth who is baptized as just an infant in the church comes before the church and says, well, my mom and dad, when they baptized me, they said Jesus is Lord, but now I've made that decision on my own, and I say Jesus is Lord. Openly declare that Jesus is Lord. In New Testament uh, times, Roman authorities, local Roman authorities, sometimes would ask Christians, you need to say that the Roman ruler Caesar is Lord. He's master of all, not this Jesus. You need to say this publicly. And Christians refused. Sometimes it cost them a job. Sometimes it cost them jail time. Sometimes it cost them their lives. But they knew that only Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, crucified for the sins of the world, dead and buried, raised to new resurrection life by God the Father to defeat the power of sin and death. They knew that only that Jesus is Lord. Caesar thought he was Lord. He thought he controlled the world. He thought he controlled the world's greatest fighting force and the world's economy. But Caesar would die, did die, and he was not resurrected. Jesus, on the other hand, was involved with God the Father and the Spirit, Holy Spirit in creation itself. Caesar wasn't there. Jesus knew and taught the truth about the true God. Caesar did not. Jesus sacrificed his life in a crucifixion death to pay the sin price for everyone. Caesar did not. Jesus was resurrected to a new resurrection body, proof that he was the Son of God, and giving him the authority to both judge and forgive sins. Caesar, dead and gone. Jesus ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, prays for us now, returns at the end, will create a new heaven, a new earth, the great restoration of everything into perfection. Caesar can't do that. Only Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus can forgive. Only Jesus can give the Holy Spirit to assure us of the Father's love and empower us to live for God. And only Jesus through this can lead us through this earthly life safely until we meet Jesus face-to-face, whether through death first or his return. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus was and is the Son of God. It's Jesus' resurrection that gives him the authority to forgive sin. It's the resurrection that proves he is broken the power of sin and the power of death. And it's Jesus' resurrection that proves that Jesus can give us a new resurrection life when our earthly life is over. So we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. We are saved and we serve a once crucified, now risen, ascended, and soon returning Lord Jesus. And this invitation to openly declare that Jesus is Lord Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. This invitation is open to everyone. Paul wrote, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not some, not most, not almost everyone, but everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. We don't call on ourselves, our own abilities, our own goodness, our own good works. We call on the name of Jesus Christ. And through our faith in his death and resurrection, we are forgiven. We are made right with God, 
and we're given the gift of God's Spirit, so we desire to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. We're saved in this life and in life to come. Matthew says these are Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. Jesus did not say, make disciples of a few people or make disciples of the people who have your skin color or speak your language or live in your country. Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. Salvation through Jesus Christ is available to everyone. Great news. Now, next steps, I'm going to back you up to the God is God stopping point. Some of us, probably most of us, need to surrender something to God. Because we all have an idea of how our life should work out, and it never does. And sometimes we've been through some really hard things, and we can't figure out why God let that happen. And there's anger, there's bitterness, there's confusion, and we put distance between ourselves and God. And you just need to give that to God and say, I just give, I surrender that to you. I don't understand it. You say you can make everything work together for good, so I'm just going to give it to you. And if you're like me, you have to do this a number of times throughout your life because things keep coming up, right? Or you may be facing a big, important decision, and you're trying to manipulate things and make it work out the way you want. Don't do that. Surrender to God, trust Him, and walk forward. He'll lead you and guide you. So if you need to do that, do that. It's a great relief. Second, don't write anyone off, yourself included. Most of us have one or more people in life that we have written off. We go, they're beyond hope. They're never going to change. Just forget them. Sometimes we feel that way about ourselves, even. Well, that's not how Jesus thinks about you. And that's not how Jesus wants us to think about anybody else either. We don't write anybody off. There are hard people in everybody's life, right? We figure out how to work with them, but don't write them off. Jesus didn't write Paul off. Paul was killing Christians. And Jesus said to Paul, I choose you. And Paul responded. So don't write anybody off. And don't write yourself off. Jesus is at work with you. He can work with anybody. And then finally, this sounds a little funny maybe, but celebrate. Uh, go have a great feast. Go throw a party. The good news is Jesus died and rose for you and you trust him and, and God's, he's put his spirit in you and you can serve him with this life and your, your eternal life after this death is fixed, it's certain, it's sure, there's no fear. This is something to celebrate. You don't have to earn it. You just enjoy it. Celebrate. Be thankful. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are so thankful that you are God and we are not, that we don't have to earn friendship with you. We don't have to figure out how to be good enough for you to like us because you sent your son Jesus to sacrifice for our sin and his resurrection to conquer the power of sin and death. So we could be forgiven as we trust him and we could have your spirit in us to help us want to live for you and actually be able to do that. So you can take pleasure in us and we take pleasure in you. We are so thankful. We pray in Jesus' name and we all say, Amen.